0: I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. Hope you had a terrific July 4th holiday. Did you go anywhere for the long weekend? Have you made any plans for a road trip this summer? I ask because travel plans are what we're here to discuss. On this episode, we check into hotels and this hard-hit sector's trip from the worldwide lockdowns of the pandemic to a season of recovery. There's a desire and demand for travel, and it will evolve and change from what it was, but
1: it's definitely going to come back. And this is an industry that continues to show how resilient it is over time.
0: That's Keith Barr, the CEO of IHG Hotels and Resorts in London. IHG has a portfolio of 16 brands across a range of property types and price points, a global total of nearly 6,000 hotels with 900,000 rooms, and even more in its development pipeline.
2: Sometimes when you take your revenue and your cost basis back down to zero, you're able to build things back incrementally and make smart decisions. And that's Rachel Rothman,
0: CBRE's head of hotels research and data analytics. Rachel has spent her decades long career in travel and hospitality from hotels to cruises, gaming and more. And she now leads a team with diverse experience and empirical expertise. Our guest and I will talk about hotels around the world and the signs they see for sector-wide recovery. We'll look at industry-wide losses across markets, where investment is heading, and changes in how people are traveling. We'll also take stock of loyalty programs and amenities. Will we see a return to Muffin Mountain? Has the demise of business travel been greatly exaggerated? We'll ask those questions and a lot more. Coming up, stay in the hotel sector. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of hotels and who you are and what you do, I should note that each one of us is a proud Cornell graduate, and we decided not to talk about Cornell for the entire episode, but now that we've got the most important part out of the way, let's start with the big picture, and then we'll get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty. The last year has been tough. Um, It's finally getting better. Keith, tell us how IHG was able to manage its way through the COVID crisis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, an existential crisis, I think, for the hospitality, travel, and tourism industry. Um, You know, when we look at, you know, quote, stress testing your business, we always look back at, well, what happened after 9-11? What happened after the financial crisis? And uh, I don't think everyone ever stress tested their business to see basically travel stop. And some markets being, you know, 95% down in revenue year over year for months. It was a challenging time. You know, I'm incredibly proud of the team, though, in terms of how they reacted to the crisis. And the way we talked about it was we got stakeholders, we got customers, we got colleagues, we've got owners, and we've got governments around the world. Through the lens of time, how do we make sure they look at us, look at IHG, and said they did the right thing? So how do you look after your customers and giving them flexible cancellation policies and knowing that it was safe to travel, and how to look after your colleagues and making sure that we're giving them the tools they needed to operate the hotel safely? Uh, working with our owners and helping them get through this and helping manage their cash flow and thinking about governments too. How can we help governments, whether that's being quarantine hotels or looking after frontline responders too? And so um, it was tough, but we actually exited a better company than we entered it. Still at the beginning phases of the recovery, um, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. No one ever knew how long that tunnel was gonna be. And it does feel like we're getting closer
2: to that light now.
0: Well, Rachel, what's your perspective on what was uh, a very difficult year?
2: Firstly, let me just say that I never thought when I started in the industry, whatever, 30 something years ago, that you could have the potential to have an industry go through such strong cycles every seven or eight years. right? No one said to me, hey, this is a career path that's gonna go up and down, boom bust every business cycle. Like we're the most cyclical out there. But I think that Keith brings up a great point, which is that coming out of each and every cycle, the industry has become more and more profitable. They found ways to become more and more efficient. And sometimes when you take your revenue and your cost basis back down to zero, you're able to build things back incrementally and make smart decisions about where you want to layer on your talent, where you want to invest your capital. And so we've seen a history of cyclical margin expansion. Your margins go up more in the up cycle and they go down less in the down cycle. So... Operators and owners are learning how to better allocate their capital, and in a way, cycles are making us smarter and more efficient. So painful, but smarter.
0: So Keith, let's talk about the business now uh, in general terms. What is leading the charge out of the crisis and um, what's lagging?
1: Yeah, it was real interesting to understand travel during a global pandemic. Where was it going to take place? And where was it gonna recover? And there were some surprises to us. Kind of our extended stay portfolio was running in the mid 60% occupancy in the United States during the pandemic. And our mainstream portfolio, the holiday and expresses of the world, running in the 40s percent. And I was like, who's staying in our hotels? Who's traveling? And you realize there's a team of repairmen working on an industrial plant and spending 30 days. You can't do that over Zoom. You've gotta go to the plant to do the work. It was frontline workers so it was amazing to see the resilience of that business travel let's call that in the mainstream and that carried over into economy as well so we don't play in economy but economy was quite robust i'm sure rachel can talk about that and that's kind of what got us through right so you saw groups meeting hotels pretty much being empty or closed um resorts pretty much being closed then as things began to recover it says anything associated with a resort by a lake by a mountain by a beach in the sun belt had demand greater than probably even 2019 in some markets and pricing power too, and just showed kind of the the lack of price sensitivity, particularly in luxury too. I mean, when we opened up luxury resorts in those destinations, um, surge in demand, huge ability to price too. And so it really was a barbell, right? Kind of the, the top and the bottom did exceptionally well now through the recovery. Now we're seeing things generally come back too, but it's going to be a multi-year recovery because it will take time for corporate travel to get back to the level that it was before, for groups and conventions to get rebooked. But you can just see there's a desire and demand for travel and it will evolve and change from what it was, but it's definitely going to come back. And this is an industry that continues to show how resilient it is over time.
2: So we agree. Um, In the data, we see strength in the luxury segment, and obviously that was the one segment where they were able to maintain complete rate integrity, of course, at the expense of occupancy um, and strength in the lower price points as well. The one thing that I think that makes this cycle different, though, is the demand did not evaporate, right? That there were structural impediments put in place by either health concerns or government or travel restrictions But the actual desire to travel was not limited. And if you compare that to the global financial crisis, when maybe the individual pocketbook suffered, or after 9-11, when people were hesitant about traveling, just as Keith said, as soon as you opened up your local resort or a drive to destination, there were people willing and ready and able to spend. And the demand to travel is still there. And I think that's one of the things that makes this cycle completely different from the last two.
1: Yeah, without question. I mean, I'm talking to owners around the world going, we've never seen demand like this before. And everyone asked me about the recovery. I said it's a direct correlation to vaccines and government restrictions and travel quarters. And so as those lift, travel will come back. On the flip side, though, we're going to see some things come back every now and then on the negative. Right. So you're seeing some markets now where. They're having some flare-ups in certain parts of the world where travel is being restricted again, and so we're seeing occupancies fall off. But even the other day, I mean, in Spain, um, I was just over there in Spain the other day, and Spain went from being amber to green for Ibiza, you know, the island, and all of a sudden, one of our hotels had a million dollars of revenue book in one day, right? I mean, it's incredible. So why are you confident about this industry for the long term? It's like. You know people are out there and business travel wants to come back as well too i mean it's really people want to go out there and see customers and people have been talking about the death of business travel like it's never going to come back and i was talking to Chris setter the other day at a meeting from hilton and he goes you know what people are going to say that until a competitor flies to see a customer and lands the big deal and they didn't get on a plane and then they're going to get on a plane and, and there's a lot of truth in that too and so Business travel will come back. Leisure travel is already there. We just have to make sure we keep people vaccinated and we get the world opened up.
0: Well, we have an expression in the brokerage side of the business, out of the room, out of the deal. And so I think it speaks to that in a lot of ways. But, uh, Rachel, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, uh, To be a little personal, back in 2019, I traveled 175,000 miles. So I am Exhibit A of the business traveler. Uh, And I've only traveled maybe four or five times this year, though I am beginning to travel more. Do you see any structural shifts, good or bad, coming out of the pandemic for the hotel industry?
2: So let's just say here are a few key debates, which I can't conclude one way or another, but, you know, some food for thought around the topic. Um, Number one could be the potential for geographic shifts, right? If I was going to plan a conference or a convention Would I wanna do that in the most expensive market where it's difficult for me to fly my employees there, they have to spend a lot in food and beverage, it's difficult to take taxis around, or would I wanna put a convention or a conference in a market where I know I can land a low cost plane in sunshine 365 days a year and food and beverage and hotel rooms are relatively inexpensive. So we could see some geographic shifts from the Northern high tax, high labor, high cost of doing business markets to lower cost of business doing markets. Um, The other thing that I would say is that airline pricing has recovered fully. And if we think about a short business trip and the relative expense of the airline seat relative to the hotel room, you'll see that the preponderance of the cost is actually in the airline seat. And so I think that there's a debate about whether or not people will make three trips across the US and spend no nights in a hotel, or if they will make one trip across the US and stay two nights in a hotel and do three pieces of business at once. And then I think the third factor you have to layer on is corporate travel budgets. And as much as I would like to say that those are benchmarked against 2019, they're not. They're always benchmarked against the prior year. And so we will not see corporate travel budgets just rubber band back to where they had been. They're gonna move higher in a step function fashion benchmarked against 2021, right? When you go to pitch your 2022 budget, it's gonna be based on 2021 and you're gonna have to make a strong ROI case about why business travel or why specific trips or events are necessary in order to get approval.
1: Rachel, I just want to add a couple of data points there too, and these are more anecdotal than they are data, I should say, um, because I would agree with what you said. I've acknowledged the fact that I'm not going to get in a plane from London to New York for a three-hour meeting and fly back the next day. it's bad for me and it's bad for the environment, and I know now we can do these things through technology, Uh, and so I think those sorts of trips are going to go away, and I'll give you two other anecdotes. I was talking to two basically board-level leadership roles in other big multinational companies. And I was struck by what one of them said. He goes, I will not do as many plane trips, but I will have as many hotel nights as I previously had. And I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, I used to fly from London down to Australia, be there for two days and then come back. And then I might be in Tokyo two weeks later. I'm going to bundle my travel very differently. So I'll have fewer flights, but probably the same number of hotel stays. And then there's this desire to get groups and meetings too. I was talking to some of the pharma companies and they're already getting some big group events scheduled because they want to do product launches. They have to get their people together. So I agree with you that corporate budgets won't be back overnight. They will build back, but they will probably build back faster than inflation. It's not going to be, they're just going to tick up. I think they will be step changing.
2: I couldn't agree more. I did not mean to give the impression that it would just be, you know, sort of CPI growth. I'm just saying we can't go from 2021's bottom or 2020. Um, I guess the corporate budget bottom would be 2021 because 2020 was budgeted to be good. Um, all the way right back, right? You're going to have to layer it on 10, 20 percent increases. It'll certainly depend on the size of your overall budget, but yeah. And
1: I think the ESG agenda will drive more changes to people's flight patterns and decisions they make on airlines than it will on hotel stakes because of just the level of carbon that's associated.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's go to that topic uh, which I was going to touch: which is how ESG is impacting you the investors in your business are saying look we want you to be more esg friendly but the definition of being esg friendly is also changing it's no longer just having a lead or an energy star on your building it has to do with measuring these things so maybe we'll start with you keith let's talk about how ihg approaches the esg question
1: yeah i mean it's a huge part of what we focus on and it's actually one of the four pillars of our strategy And in the past i think ESG was compliance, you had to have it. It was a tick the box exercise for many, many companies. I think it's in the fabric of a company's strategy today to be successful, from a shareholder perspective, from an investor perspective, uh, and from a consumer perspective, that you've got to be thinking about this and your impact on communities, your impact on the environment too. So, you know, we have a computer technology platform that we developed years ago, which we're actually replatforming now called Green Engage. It's in all of our hotels around the world. It's a brand standard, it lets us track energy, waste, and water consumption, really understanding what our carbon footprint is. Um, was developed based upon a lot of the lead certification data at the time and understanding how do we then positively impact the performance of hotels. So moving from incandescence to LEDs, putting in new technologies, how you allocate rooms, really putting best practice and processes in place to do it. And now we're having a regular report out on this too. So this has gone from just a, do you have something in your hotels to what are you specifically doing? What's the impact? Um, you know, we've signed up to science-based targets right now. And we have a huge initiative over the next 10 years to fundamentally lower our carbon footprint on a growing business which is not easy to do you know we recognize we're going to have to have zero to low carbon prototype hotels for our mainstream brands within five years to be able to do that we're going to have to be able to retrofit the existing estate to materially lower its energy consumption uh, and also help support you know renewable energies too so it amazes me i mean literally in the past i would sit down with one of our major shareholders And the last five minutes of the conversation was ESG. Now we're having a separate one or two hour meeting just on this topic. And going specifically into the data because there's a lot of money that's gonna invest in green companies, but it has to be really clear what you're doing and that it's being certified and it's being validated externally.
0: Let me dig into one point you made there for a moment, Keith, if I could, you said science-based targets. And so when I speak to my investors outside of the hotel sector, a lot of them are following what's known as the UN Principles on Responsible Investing and they're using those measurements. Is that what you meant by science-based targets? Effectively, yeah. You
1: actually have to have a third-party certification based upon the UN standards, which says we're going to put these actions in place to be able to lower our carbon footprint to keep us below two degrees or below 1.5 degrees and so forth too. So it's using the UN certification and it has to be externally validated too. The one thing though that you know people have asked me, when are you going to be carbon zero? And a lot of companies are signing up to that, right? They're saying by 2050, we're going to be, you know, zero carbon or 2040. Um, It's hard to do. We're focused on how do we get there eventually, but until we have a plan, I'm not going to make that commitment publicly because I've seen a lot of people make it and I've asked them, go, how are you going to do it? We're not quite sure yet, you know, but we figure we'll figure it out. Um, And so, you know, I think it's a little bit disingenuous right now, if you bet put that out there, because you realize it's going to be the next chief executive or the next chief executive's problem to sort it out. And so I don't want to really leave that for my successors.
2: Great job by Keith explaining all of the environmental aspects of it, but let's just keep in mind that ESG, you know, the S pillar, right? Social is very important to the investors as well and to community as well. And it also makes companies better, right? There's data and research Um, academic and everyday business research that suggests that more diverse organizations actually have better financial performance. And I think we can see the success of CBRE, right? Has tremendous diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and has performed tremendously well. And I just would say that the hotel industry is uniquely positioned to perform better than almost any other industry in that category, right? I would be hard pressed to find another industry where the staff or the associates and the management on site is any more diverse than the hotel industry. I mean, I came up from being a coat check girl, front desk clerk, short order cook, housekeeper. Like this is an industry with tremendous diversity and tremendous opportunity for people to see growth in their career over a lifetime where somebody can come in as an entry level worker and wind up as an executive of a public company or a researcher or a general manager. Um, And so I think our industry has a great opportunity to attract, train and retain a diverse um, universe of talent. And I think that we should capitalize on that opportunity because we're well positioned. And investors want it, right? The companies want it, the associates want it, investors want it. It's a win, win, win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the E was already moving right and accelerating every single year. The S step changed in the last 24 months and the recognizing the role of companies to have a positive impact on society and an expectation You know, as a chief executive, my team expect me to put a stake in the ground on big issues and making sure we're doing the right things. One in 10 jobs globally is hospitality, travel and tourism. And it does a wide range of socioeconomic and educational backgrounds can be here, too. So uh, it's exciting. And and also to attract the right talent, people want to see that working for a company really walks the talk in this space. And really fundamentally believes in it. And you need to have the best talent to win going forward, too. So it's doing the right thing,
0: but also to succeed in business, you have to do it as well. Well, I think this uh, talent and jobs uh, brings up something that um, actually was my criminal law professor at Harvard told me He said all of life is a seamless web. Everything is connected somehow. And the connection I see in the hospitality industry is food and beverage and labor. And uh, the term I I heard, I learned this term, I stole it from the Financial Times, so I'm giving credit to it, was the Muffin Mountain. And the Muffin Mountain is what you go into every hotel in the morning, and you see this mountain of muffins, mountain of eggs, of food, and I think, well, why do they put so much food out there? Nobody's going to eat all that. Well, it's cheaper than labor. And so this brings up the issue of the availability of labor. Rachel, how big of an issue is the availability of labor today?
2: I mean, it's the issue, right? I think if you look at the data, you'll see that on average, a hotel is looking to fill 25 FTEs or full-time equivalent employees. Um, that's on average per hotel currently. And I think that, you know, it impacts service levels. Um, it impacts their ability to fill the hotel. and I mean, it, it's just a huge issue currently. I think we have to remind potential associates and colleagues that as the founder of Ritz Carlton said, you know, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. This is not just a job, this is a job of service and a potential long-term career where you bring value to the guests and to the experience and we want to take care of you and bring value to you and your life and your community as well. Um, To the extent that we can remind potential employees, that we are an employer and an industry of choice, that we provide experiences, that we're here to excite and delight our guests. I think we will have a better um, job attracting the right talent over just showcasing a role as a, you know, $18 an hour or X dollars an hour during this time period and that time period. I think we won't win if if that's our pitch. Here, come make, you know, $2 an hour more. I, I think those individuals won't give the guests the quality of service that that we need to make companies successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is an issue that we're all talking about right now. And I think partially because the industry was surprised, but the level of demand and the pace at which it came back outstripped the staffing in this industry. And then we're quickly trying to restaff this industry up. Um, and it is, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing about people not opening bars, people not opening restaurants, people keeping floors of guest rooms closed because they can't staff up. And so we're very, very focused on it. We've actually done in the United States, I think we've done eight webinars for our franchise community, sharing all of our best hiring practices, our training tools. We're staffing up in terms of recruiting function as well too, really trying to support our owners to help staff up the hotels and train up the new staff as well too. On the flip side, we're also having to rethink through some of the service delivery, I'm saying are there ways in this lower staffed environment, we can still deliver a great experience. And how do we need to change and evolve it? And what's, what's temporary and what is permanent as well,
0: too? And those are the great debates that are going on. Well, when I brought up the example of the muffin mountain at the breakfasts, it, it brings up an example of labor is scarce. Here's one of our solutions. Another solution is automation. Rachel, can you comment on how the industry has evolved and how it might continue to evolve through automation or otherwise uh, if there are labor shortages?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is, um, we have better data this cycle than we've had in any prior cycle, right? The yield management systems are better than they've ever been. There's just tons of data. How to maximize profits based on length of stay, what a total spend per guest is, how to mix your segments, how to use the appropriate channel. You should have an opportunity to study ways of maximizing your hotel's top line. Then, As you look at the cost structure, we've obviously seen kiosk check-in or check-in on your phone, which we didn't have during the global financial crisis. You can check into your room using your phone. We're now seeing the exploration instead of the unlimited breakfast that you're referencing to like hot service kiosks where people might get something grab and go. Um, So we're definitely seeing a lot of technology and automation. I think for sure you'll see elimination of some positions in the front desk or in concierge or maybe those positions melding into broader guest service where they're also providing some food and beverage, coffee, breakfast bar, that type of thing. I think as we move beyond that, though, it's really going to be about maximizing revenues and profits, not necessarily just about cutting costs or other things that you can do to remove friction in revenues, I think is gonna be a huge area of growth for the hotel industry. And we've seen it in casinos and cruise lines, yeah.
1: I like the word that um, Rachel used. I use the word friction all the time. How do you remove friction? And you use technology to do that. And that way you can reduce costs, but improve the customer experience or improve the owner experience too. And so I think you're gonna see this industry Continue to accelerate its utilization of digital technology to deliver a better experience and more profit for owners too. And because of the pandemic, we took a bunch of things out of the room that were always in the room. And now we're asking ourselves, why were they ever in the room in the first place? As one of our tells the other day, it's all in QR code now. So anything you want, it is now available on your phone, but we're not putting that piece of collateral in there that is cost to an owner, that's actually costly to the environment as well too. What we did throughout the last year and a bit was accelerate our focus on utilization of technology, reevaluating the customer journey and the owner journey, and where are the points of friction? How can we make it easier to get things done? Uh, And it's really paying off dividends. It's going to vary around the world, right? And it's going to vary by market segment. It's going to be a more efficient industry coming out of this, where you'll find improving margin in the hotels and in the big companies as revenues come back. And that's good for everyone. And it's good for investment in this industry. And you'll see it accelerate. It's causing us to have to raise our game. And we'll be collectively spending more in technology than ever before because customers are demanding it.
0: Well, you should know the first thing I look for when I enter a hotel room are the outlets where I can plug my stuff in. Um, And I know that they've now moved them up on the desk. But you should know that my near and dear recently departed grandma best used to look for the little bars of soap. I go to her apartment and I'd find all these little bars of soap from the Holiday Inn and these other places. So uh, she's not around anymore, so that's one cost savings you'll have. I, I bet she have. probably has some of her holiday in towels, too. Uh, well, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, let me talk about customer retention. You had a year gap here where some of your best customers didn't show up. Um, how'd you handle that? I
1: think communication was critical. That was the biggest thing, right? And, and what we learned both with our customers and our colleagues, even our owners, was. You can't communicate enough as you're going through a crisis mm-hmm. because in the absence of information, people assume the worst and they either assume you're not doing something or you're doing something that's not going to help them. And so it was get out there and talk about what you're doing. So, Hey, no worry, travel, book a reservation. If you cancel, don't worry about it. You're not going to get charged loyalty points. We're going to extend your loyalty points for another year, even though you'd have an activity. My team literally it was March of last year going, there's no playbook for this. And so you got to take a step back and say, what do we want customers saying about us? What do we want owners saying about us? What do we want our colleagues saying about us? And what customers saying is, you had my back at the end of the day. You, know, you helped me cancel my reservation. You helped me get my money back. You extended my loyalty points. You extended my status. You felt like you were a partner with me. And that engenders loyalty. On the flip side, if you don't do that, they're going to go, you, you weren't there for me. You didn't have my back. And I'm going to go over here now too. And so... That's what I tried to preach to my entire organization through last year is we want people saying at the end of the day, IHG did the right thing to the best of their ability and all the decisions they made. Weren't perfect, but that's what you want because that's how you build reputation and that's how you kind of strengthen your relationship.
2: I think what Keith's saying is the general approach that they took, right? And I don't wanna make that sound so easy because I'm also an elite member of many of the airline programs. And let me tell you, they did not give me my full money back. Um, The industry was fairly consistent in its approach, the hotel industry. I don't wanna make it sound like that was an easy task because we've definitely seen other industries not make it so seamless.
0: Let's talk about another issue that the hotel industry confronted during the crisis and let's talk about how long it lasts. On one of our prior shows on the Weekly Take, we talked about New York City losing 20 to 25,000 hotel rooms permanently, and I guess that story could be told in some other big cities as well. Were we overstating the case, or do we think there's going to be a permanent loss of hotel rooms in some of the major markets that are both international travel and mass transit dependent? Keith, what's your perspective?
1: I heard those numbers being floated in the early days of the pandemic, and I think they may be overblown. I mean, we're not seeing it happen in our state for the most part. We have a couple of hotels here and there, but it's not. The ones I'm seeing from an industry level were ones that were already probably structurally impaired pre-pandemic, and the pandemic just exacerbated it. You kind of looked at it going, is that the highest and best use of that real estate for that asset? Does this hotel work as it's currently? And the answer was, it was on the bubble before the pandemic. It blew up effectively during the pandemic. But lenders are being pretty flexible right now. They're basically saying, you know, we can see the recovery. And so, you know, I, I, I've had more people come to me and saying, I've got $500 million or a billion dollar fund I'm spinning up to go out and find distressed assets. And they're like, where are they? And I'm like, well, there's not nearly as much distress as everyone thought there was going to be. Now, as government support pulls back around the world when furloughs begin going away and you know business tax rate subsidies go away and it's like that you may see some more distress come into the system but i don't think it's going to be of the epic level that people were projecting at one point point. and i think most lenders are being quite thoughtful about it but again hotels that didn't work before the pandemic you know don't work now and are even more challenged um but i don't think it's going to be again this epic departure in all the urban centers in the world
0: what we're really talking about here is supply demand I think you have to bring up the question of airbnb as well as a new supply source so i'd love to get your total picture on the supply story post pandemic rachel
2: yeah so firstly let me say that uh, i was a fourth generation manhattanite so anything that sounds negative about new york city you know touches me personally that said i think part of the future of the urban hotel industry particularly in these high cost of business markets will be dependent on the policies and procedures that the local and state governments put into place um and I know that New York City's going through an election um and so depending on how that tax base and those decisions come out it will influence what hotels are viable and what are not additionally New York has been a market with tremendous supply growth so in a way it would make sense that you might have hotels close right it's a refreshing of the supply base. As we used to say in the hotel industry, it's not overbuilt, it's under bulldozed. That's what they they taught us in hotel school. And so if you look at stock that's 40, 50, 60 years old, it makes sense that it becomes refreshed. And as Keith said, the pandemic might've been the catalyst for that. In terms of Airbnb or short-term rental supply, there has been a preponderance of that. Major urban markets mostly have put limitations on rentals under 30 days, as it has been shown academically and in research to raise the real estate cost basis of the local markets. I think the hotel industry has been advocating for fair and just taxation of short-term rentals. And I personally, and I'm sure some governments would like to see the same safety standards put in place in short-term rentals. So not just a question of Um, taxation, but fire life safety, right? What measures are put in place to protect the people that stay in those units in much the same way that the hotel industry does? Um, I think that it is something to contend with and to be aware of, and the hotel industry is gonna have to do things to stay attractive to multi-generational or larger groups. And I think we're starting to see some of those policies changed with um, guaranteed connecting rooms, And more advertising to families and you're even seeing some of the big brands venture into home and villa rentals short-term rentals or alliances with those types of programs but i think they are here to stay and it is something that the industry needs to be aware of
1: yeah i I think rachel that short-term hotel um, home rental accommodations it's here to stay it was here before airbnb airbnb has effectively helped consolidate the industry and make it easier for consumers to access it um, and I think for certain state occasions, it's the right decision. It should be well-regulated consistently, and it shouldn't be covert. And because the negative impact it has on communities is pretty significant when it's not handled properly by local governments. When you bought that apartment in New York or that flat in London for you and your family to live in, you didn't expect it to be the one next to you to be turned into a weekend rental for people to come for their bachelor parties or you know their graduation event. Um, and you're seeing huge parts of destinations, places like Venice, for example, where all the locals are being pushed out because of short term accommodation. That's not what should happen too. So I think there's gonna be more and more of a societal pushback to say it's the right thing to do to have home rentals done properly, done consistently and regulated. And we believe that's, that's fine. It's just when it's not being regulated and when you're creating hotels within apartment buildings that were never intended to be there, that's just not the right thing to do. That's-
0: take out our crystal ball, or what I like to call our reverse crystal ball. Looking back from 2025, uh, is the hotel industry back to pre-pandemic levels, then overall past it? What are the major changes we're going to see in the next four years? Starting with you, Rachel.
2: I'm going to say, on average, it's back, but you have some markets doing a lot better than they had done previously, and you have other markets still struggling to recover, And what's going to separate those is probably whether or not those hotels that operate in high cost markets are able to find sufficient efficiencies to charge a price that guests are willing to pay to come there, that they can still operate profitably, even though they have a higher cost structure.
0: Keith, what's your point of view? 2025, looking back yeah very similar to rachel
1: i think uh, some markets will be at or above some will be lagging but generally the industry will be back by 2025 i mean the the bulls are saying the industry in total is back by 23 the bears are 2025 and so it's probably somewhere in the middle there too again you're seeing some markets today whether it's vaccines whether it's travel quarters open up demand comes back and this industry is incredibly resilient and will continue to innovate and find new ways of making sure that it can continue to grow too so you know, I think in 2025, we will be sitting here going, we got through the toughest period of time in this industry's history, have come out of it better. And the thing is the big hotel companies, that's IHGs, that's the Hiltons, the Maritons the world, are just gonna keep getting bigger. When you think about the top three of us today have I think 17% of the existing hotel supply, but we have 43% of the global pipeline. And so the big hotel companies with the broad portfolio brands ranging from mainstream all the way through upscale to luxury, we've got that diverse portfolio for owners and for customers to access that demand. And so the big companies will keep getting bigger. They'll build stronger technology platforms, bigger loyalty programs, and you'll see the industry continue to consolidate to some degree in the smaller companies as they can't compete too. But it's going to be a very healthy industry, and 2025 is going to be a lot funner than 2020.
0: So the very last, last question now, most important of all, when we do tape that episode in 2025, would you prefer to tape it at Ruloff's on the back porch of College Town Bagels or in the Statler Hotel. Rachel:
2: Oh, College Town Bagels cuz I shy off carbs these days, but if I was going to have a celebration, I'd like to go face down in a pile of bagels.
1: Keith: I'll see you for a pint at Roulon.
0: <laughs> well, on behalf of the weekly take, I want to thank first of all Keith Barr, CEO of IHG Hotels and Resorts for joining us. Keith: Thanks for coming out.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: And then I want to thank our friend and colleague, Rachel Rothman, the head of hotels, research and data at CBRE. Rachel, well done. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you both. Such a pleasure.
0: Just a little parting Cornell humor among alums about some beloved Ithaca institutions. Worth a trip in case you were wondering. And we thank our guests once again for their hospitality. And for more on the topic of hotels and about our show, check out CBRE.com slash The Weekly Take and make sure to come back for more informative conversations in the weeks to come. We're working on episodes about tech talent, the state of coworking and business disruption with economist and former Spotify executive turned author, Will Page. We'll also have some of CBRE's best and brightest thought leaders returning for our annual mid-year outlook. And what's your outlook on the show? Drop us a note with your feedback. We'd also invite you to subscribe rate, and review us wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.